At the height of summer, the ocean, a rich blue under a rich blue sky, King George III's eleven British ships ploughed one last path, leaving the disappointment of Botany Bay. Where was the fresh water they'd been promised? Where was the grass? They passed two unexpectedly arrived French ships and turned north along a coast with rose-gold sandstone cliffs, high dunes, and scrubby heathland. Four leagues on, they turned inland, catching at the hidden entrance of another harbour and sailing into the body of the land itself. It was the southern summer of 1788, and they had disappeared from any place that existed on any admiralty map. The ship slid silently into this new Holland, this new South Wales. Their passengers wondered what might happen next. Before this, the only white that had glanced at the blue of this harbour, the blue of the sky, had come from clouds, from flowers, from feathers. Now a procession of chalk-sailed boats moved slowly westward, quite small against the size of the shore, the trees, the rocks. From above, they were scrubbed lozenges of wood topped with squares of canvas pinned and floating. From below, they were dark oblongs, obscuring some of the light, the sky, the day. From the cove where they anchored, they were a new world, tacking and curving. The flower, the blankets, the piano, the plants, the panes of glass, the reams of paper, the handcuffs and the hundred pairs of scissors in their holds. What they held of these things was all there was of them here. Their cargo included a thousand-odd people, some two hundred marines and officers, to take care of some seven hundred convicts, and even five dozen officers' wives and children, and this augmented by an arc of five hundred animals. They were here to establish a colony, an outpost of the British Empire. They were here to establish a prison, an outpost of Newgate, or the convict hulks that floated on the Thames. So far away, they were here to settle the mythical Antipodes, literally out of the world, as the old sailors said of such low southern voyages. They were here, on the whole, to either guard or to be guarded. But one man, 24-year-old Second Lieutenant William Dawes from Portsmouth, had plans beyond that. Championed by the Astronomer Royal, William Dawes had also been dispatched to scan the skies and the stars, to look for a comet. Praised for a facility for languages and natural history, William Dawes aspired to astronomy, to botany, to meteorology and cartography. He wanted to know what was here. He wanted to see everything. He wanted to learn new stories. It was midday, and in the captain's quarters at the back of the ship, he paused in the middle of winding the clock. A fine-featured young man, his eyes bright and his brow almost always dinted by a frown of concentration. He was especially charged with the care of this expedition's astronomical instruments, like this beautiful silver-backed timepiece, which accounted not only for the frown, but also for an occasional straightness of the back and an occasional pleased smile. Through the wrinkled glass of the cabin's windows, he watched another of the fleet turn and settle, and he squinted against the flash of her sails, the rush of white movement as they were hauled in. The hard sun made it dazzling. Outside the door, the sentry scuffed his feet and coughed, waiting for the task to be done. When the clock was wound, the watch could change. 
clearing his own throat in return. Dawes looked down at the instrument in its cushioned box, his sight dull in the dim cabin after the shine of the world outside. He blinked, recovering its shape, its white face snowier, cleaner than any sail, and ringed with elegantly black Roman numerals that marked minutes, hours, days. It was a beautiful thing, this clock, and it had made its own momentous voyages. Sometimes Dawes, daydreaming, wished it had been able to record what happened in those seconds, not just count them out. Then he could have seen its long and far travels with that great mariner, James Cook. My never-failing guide, Cook had called it, and it had even marked off the last hour, last minute, last second of the great man's life, was said to have stopped at that moment.